Let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, there's been a revitalized energy for unions nationally, and DC is no exception. Staffers at Union Kitchen, a food business accelerator, are suing their employer for wage theft. It's an issue that initially sparked their interest in forming a union last year, and the lawsuit is now raising tensions with management. The DCist Amanda Gomez is following the case. Today is Monday, March 20th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. So Amanda, union kitchen workers are suing their employer over wage theft. What exactly is going on? Yeah, so the wage theft lawsuit that was filed in DC Superior Court in early March accuses Union Kitchen, the local accelerator and food retailer of pocketing the tips of tipped workers. It all starts, it's like back up, it all starts in 2021 when two workers noticed that reports from their point of service system called Square didn't really align with what their paychecks were saying. So basically, one worker noticed that for roughly eight weeks of work, that he was underpaid around $400 in credit card tips. And this is what he, the worker, Gabe Wittes, is alleging in this lawsuit. And he doesn't know how widespread this is, but he says another colleague of his noticed a discrepancy in how her tips were paid out and so are now bringing forth this lawsuit, trying to get to the bottom of it. So what has Union Kitchen been saying in response to all this? I have to imagine they put out some kind of a statement. So I've reached out to the Union Kitchen's um, CEO. We've been in communication before because I've written a lot about their union drive, their efforts to organize and form a union, which they, they successfully did over the summer. And when I reached out for comment on this story, he declined to comment. I have actually talked about this issue, this tip discrepancy, this alleged wage theft with the CEO, Colin Gilcrest, before. I talked about it with him because it was the impetus for the workers' union drive. And this was last year when the union drive was beginning in January of last year. And he basically told me at the time that they followed all employment law, including the law that regulates tipping. And so that's what he said. And he also said that the point of sale system that employees had access to that was like help them like uncover this tip discrepancy. He basically said that that was a mistake, that employees weren't supposed to have access to that. And he said that he wanted to cut tips, which he ended up doing last year. So he ended up 
revoking or just canceling tips and paying workers $18 an hour just with no option for tipping because he said that was the direction the industry was going. So that's what he said. Again, not directly in response to this lawsuit because we talked prior, but... Yeah. <laughs> so just for my own clarification, when he said that the square, the point of sale service that they use, it was a mistake. The mistake was employees being able to see how the tips were calculated and paid out. Great clarification. No, the mistake was that employees had access and saw how much tips they were getting. Like, and talking to a wage theft lawyer, like separate, I was just trying to get his two cents. Um, He represents a lot of employees who accuse their employer of wage theft. He was saying, yeah, it's pretty uncommon for employees to have that much data on tipping. I mean, it's usually a black box. Like employees are having to, after the fact, like kind of look at their paycheck, be like, I swear that person tipped me 20%. Like they're noticing keeping their own records. They don't have access to employer records. It was pretty surprising that employees had access to that much tip data information. I will also say, though, in the lawsuit that was brought by this employee, Gabe Wittes, and the union that is representing Union Kitchen workers, they said in their lawsuit that the CEO, Colin Gilcross, basically fessed up to all of the allegations in the lawsuit that he said in an email to employees that mistakes happen, that he admits to a tip discrepancy, and that he will hire a firm to look into this discrepancy that uh, employees noticed, and that he will be changing their tip policy. And later again, he eliminated tips so when management moved to completely remove tips and increase wages instead, like how did the staff feel about that? Were they like, this will solve the problem? Or were they like, actually, we were making more money before? What was their general response? So Union Kitchen, I guess, for those who are not familiar, they have six stores. I think people might know Union Kitchen because of its commercial kitchen where like local entrepreneurs could come and use their commercial space and like make their product. In exchange, they have to pay a membership fee. In fact, Compass Coffee came out of there. Ice Cream Jubilee came out of there. Whisked Bakery came out of there. Like a lot of local products that we know and maybe like or love come out of there. And so the workers that I spoke to were really like motivated by this mission because those products would maybe not Compass Coffee, but other products that came out of that kitchen were sold in those markets, those retail spaces that they worked in. And so they decided to unionize because they wanted to make this this their place of employment, which they appreciated, into a workplace that they had a say in so that to improve it, but also because, yes, this tipping situation. And that union drive started. I spoke to those workers like over a year ago, so January of 2022. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. At 
Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So I know this, this union is like pretty young, but it, I think it was created in June. But this is not the first time that it's gone after its employer. What were the other times that this union has gone after its employer? Right. It has been, as you like alluded to, a tense time between the workers, some of the workers, particularly the people leading this union drive and the CEO, Colin Gilcrest. So what happens? Because what you can do, right, is you don't have to go through a formal election through the National Labor Boards of Relation. An employer could just be like, I recognize you. You guys are a union. When I talked to Colin and asked him if he was going to do that back like a year ago, he didn't say that he was. He basically said he was trying to build a great team and that's what they're focused on. He didn't give me one way or another. It was hard to kind of read him then. But then one of the lead organizers said, Um, Shortly after their union drive was announced that he went and talked to workers in a way that casted doubts about the need for a union. And that kind of started a tense relationship. That same individual, Rob Bellock, he told me that like, basically, he started to be disciplined in a way that just like didn't add up. Like he got dinged for coming in a few minutes late. And like he said that management, the store manager used to be understanding if like employees we're a couple minutes late. So he was like, oh, I'm coming under intense scrutiny. He noticed that another union organizer was coming under intense scrutiny. And they started to get like in trouble, getting written notices, as it were. And so eventually, like a month into their union drive, this employee, Rob, was fired. And these are at-will employees, meaning, you know, your employer doesn't need to give you a reason for firing you. And so what happened then was this employee... Um, filed an unfair labor practice charge through the NLRB, you know, saying that I was wrongfully fired. And then over the course of several months, another lead organizer, Gabe Wittes, who's actually now the plaintiff of that wage lawsuit, he was also fired. And he again believed it had to do with his role in the union drive. And so they uh, filed more charges against Union Kitchen. And then over the course of several months in total, five pro-union workers were fired or disciplined. The NLRB started to investigate those claims and then eventually reached a settlement and Union Kitchen Management had to pay 25000 in back pay and front pay to the five employees that were fired or disciplined. So like NLRB helped to substantiate some of the claims that these workers were saying. And I should say that when we spoke with the CEO about this, you know, we were like, what's going on? People are are accusing you of union busting. And he told us that, like, I can read a direct quote. He was like, the idea that there's some nefarious conspiracy going on, I think it's pretty silly. He also did tell us that he did not think that a union would be beneficial to employees, but he said that, you know... Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) But he said that he will let them continue to do what they do and that the direct quote was, we'll be working with everyone to understand how they vote, why they should vote, and then helping them understand the things that will allow them to make an informed decision. Because he did question the need for a union. I mean, basically, he was saying that what we have is 
better than other stores. I mean, they pay their workers 18 an hour. They have benefits, healthcare, and paid sick leave. And so he was just kind of like, it was lost on him why his workers would want to unionize. And I should say, you know, I kind of took that to the employees. And again, they said it was not that they were unsatisfied entirely with their employer. That's not why they're unionizing. It's that they just want to have more of a say with store policies. For example, Union Kitchen at one point uh, last year, they like barred minors from coming in because of theft. They just saw a lot of theft among young people. And that, I know, made some workers feel uncomfortable. They just questioned that. And so like policies like that, they just want to have have a say in. And they believe that forming a union was one of the best avenues to do that. I spoke to employees also who were like unsure of why their colleagues were unionizing. They also shared what the CEO Colin Gilchrist was sharing, which was like, I don't understand why my colleagues, like they just didn't see why they were doing that. So I shouldn't say the desire for a union was universal. Like the vote ended up being 20 to 11. So not everyone agreed. In the end, most workers there did want a union. Do you think that Union Kitchen has an especially active labor presence or is this representative of sort of the larger organizing and labor trends in the district? So Union Kitchen was very inspired by, you know, the Starbucks workers nationally. So I think they're following that trend in terms of like how unique they are in like the kind of local DC retail space. I think they're pretty unique in that they're one of the few local retailers that is organized. The labor organization, Local 400, you know, that's supporting them and such, they've represented Giant and Safeway workers, but they just recently supported Politics and Pros, the bookstore. Like, they helped them form a union in December of 2021. So kind of around the time where they were supporting the union kitchen workers, like a month later, this happened. Uh, Union Kitchen happened, I should say. But the Politics and Pros was the first retail that Local 400 organized in a decade. It's been um, challenging to get retailers to organize because they're turnover and then also like to draw that connection of like, yeah, what is the benefit of me organizing? It didn't seem as obvious, but I think with all this talk of unionizing and then all this talk of like also like the pandemic kind of showcasing the woes of frontline workers. Like I think that motivated a lot of people to unionize. And um, since UCFW, Local 400 has supported workers out of La Colombe in Chinatown to organize. They also kind of going away from that, similar, different, but the DC Holistic Wellness Cannabis Dispensary is another spot they helped organize. So they're unique. And I should also say like, it seems... The union union kitchen seems unique in that like the alleged union busting that happened there seemed unique. Like politics and pros, while their employer didn't voluntarily recognize them and the employer got some pushback for that, they wrapped up their first contract fairly quickly, like faster than most other shops do. And speaking with the workers there, they had a pretty amicable relationship with their employer. Like during contract negotiations, it would seem that's not the case here at Union Kitchen. Something else that strikes me as a little bit unique about the Union Kitchen situation is that it was a business that started out as an accelerator, as you said. Like, it's meant to elevate other people and other brands. You mentioned Compass Coffee coming out of there, Whisks, the bakery, Ice Cream Jubilee. Do you think that there's something to be said about this idea where these companies that maybe start with a an admirable mission 
later have these headlines come out that are negative, where people are looking at the way that they treat their own employees. And it kind of adds to this overall disillusionment that folks might feel about these brands that start so so rosy and with a positive mission. It's definitely interesting. And that contradiction that you name is felt among the employees. Like many workers that I spoke to were very disillusioned because of management's response to the union. Like I remember speaking to one who worked at the retailer, wanted to get involved in the accelerator, and then was like, I don't know if I want to because this is leaving a sour taste in my mouth. And another, a separate employee that I spoke with, she also, she resigned. She was just burnt out. And also she just became so anxious about whether or not she'd get in trouble. I don't know how patrons feel or like how the public at large feels about this. I know that also I should say that like my understanding is Union Kitchen is like looking to expand further, like at another retailer trying to expand their commercial space. So I don't know like whether the Union Drive has like encumbered their own growth, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Amanda Gomez, thank you so much for explaining all of this to me. And thanks for covering it at DCist. Thank you, Bridget. I appreciate you listening. And before you go, here's some quick news. Metal detectors are being installed in some Alexandria schools as part of a pilot program. In a recent community survey, 85% supported the use of metal detectors in local schools to protect students from possible shootings. Opponents' main concerns were the cost and the impact on the welcoming feeling in schools. The detectors will be placed in May and reassessed in the fall. Meanwhile, Maryland Senate has passed a bill that makes it possible for child abuse victims to sue institutions that protected their attackers, regardless of how long it's been. The bill is expected to pass in the House as well, but lawmakers are prepared for a battle over its constitutionality. And lastly, Virginia added 10 more historic sites to its landmark register last week. They include Drover's Rest, an 18th century mill complex in Fairfax County, and the Philomont Historic District, which is a 19th century rural village in Loudoun County that served as an economic center in the region. And here's today's DC Life Hack. You may have noticed that some street signs have a DC flag on its right-hand corner. That means the road is part of an evacuation route and extends all the way out of the city. Here's hoping we never have to use it, but it is good to know. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you've enjoyed the show, share it with someone who works retail in DC, maybe your favorite barista. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. So the lawsuit that the wage sub lawsuit that was announced just last, just earlier in the week, actually. Wow. No, last week. Today is Monday. Uh, Sorry. Let me start over.